Welcome to the I Can't Sleep Podcast, where I read random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. I'm your host, Benjamin Boster. Today's episode is from a Wikipedia article titled Snow. Snow comprises individual ice crystals that grow while suspended in the atmosphere usually within clouds, and then fall, accumulating on the ground where they undergo further changes. It consists of frozen crystalline water throughout its life cycle, starting when, under suitable conditions, the ice crystals form in the atmosphere, increase to millimeter size, precipitate, and accumulate on surfaces, then metamorphose in place and ultimately melt, slide, or sublimate away. Snowstorms organize and develop by feeding on sources of atmospheric moisture and cold air. Snowflakes nucleate around particles in the atmosphere by attracting supercooled water droplets, which freeze in hexagonal-shaped crystals. Snowflakes take on a variety of shapes. Basic among these are platelets, needles, columns, and rime. As snow accumulates into a snowpack, it may blow into drifts. Over time, accumulated snow metamorphoses by sintering, sublimation, and freeze-thaw. Where the climate is cold enough for year-to-year accumulation, a glacier may form. Otherwise, snow typically melts seasonally, causing runoff into streams and rivers and recharging groundwater. Major snow-prone areas include the polar regions, the northernmost half of the northern hemisphere, and mountainous regions worldwide with sufficient moisture and cold temperatures. In the southern hemisphere, Snow is confined primarily to mountainous areas, apart from Antarctica. Snow affects such human activities as transportation, creating the need for keeping roadways, wings, and windows clear. Agriculture, providing water to crops and safeguarding livestock. Sports, such as skiing, snowboarding, and snow machine travel. And warfare. Snow affects ecosystems as well by providing an insulating layer during winter under which plants and animals are able to survive the cold. Snow develops in clouds that themselves are part of a larger weather system. The physics of snow crystal development in clouds results from a complex set of variables that include moisture content and temperatures. The resulting shapes of the falling and fallen crystals can be classified into a number of basic shapes and combinations thereof. Occasionally some plate-like dendritic and stellar-shaped snowflakes can form under clear sky with a very cold temperature inversion present. Cloud Formation Snow clouds usually occur in the context of larger weather systems, the most important of which is the low-pressure area, 
which typically incorporate warm and cold fronts as part of their circulation. Two additional and locally productive sources of snow are lake effect, also sea effect, storms, and elevation effects, especially in mountains. Low pressure areas. Mid-latitude cyclones are low pressure areas, which are capable of producing anything from cloudiness and mild snowstorms to heavy blizzards. During a hemisphere's fall, winter, and spring, during a hemisphere's fall, winter, and spring, the atmosphere over continents can be cold enough through the depth of the troposphere to cause snowfall. In the northern hemisphere, the northern side of the low pressure area produces the most snow. For the southern mid latitudes, the side of a cyclone that produces the most snow is the southern side. Fronts A cold front, the leading edge of a cooler mass of air, can produce frontal snow squalls, an intense frontal convective line similar to a rain band, when temperature is near freezing at the surface. The strong convection that develops has enough moisture to produce whiteout conditions at places which line passes over as the wind causes intense blowing snow. This type of snow squall generally lasts less than 30 minutes at any point along its path, but the motion of the line can cover large distances. Frontal squalls may form a short distance ahead of the surface cold front or behind the cold front where there may be a deepening low pressure system or a series of trough lines which act similar to a traditional cold frontal passage. In situations where squalls develop post-frontally, it is not usual to have two or three linear squall bands pass in rapid succession, only separated by 25 miles, 40 kilometers, with each passing the same point and roughly 30 minutes apart. In cases where there is a large amount of vertical growth and mixing, the squall may develop embedded cumulonimbus clouds resulting in lightning and thunder, which is dubbed thundersnow. A warm front can produce snow for a period as warm, moist air overrides below freezing air and creates precipitation at the boundary. Often snow transitions to rain in the warm sector behind the front. Lake and Ocean Effects Lake effect snow is produced during cooler atmospheric conditions when a cold air mass moves across long expanses of warmer lake water, warming the lower layer of air which picks up water vapor from the lake, rises up through the colder air above, freezes and is deposited on the leeward downward shores. The same effect also occurs over bodies of salt water when it is termed ocean effect or bay effect snow. The effect is enhanced when the moving air mass is uplifted by the orographic influence of higher elevations on the downwind shores. This uplifting can produce narrow but very intense bands of precipitation, which deposit at a rate of many inches of snow each hour, often resulting in a large amount of total snowfall. 
The areas affected by lake effect snow are called snow belts. These include areas east of the Great Lakes, the west coasts of northern Japan, the Kamchatka Peninsula in Russia, and areas near the Great Salt Lake, Black Sea, Caspian Sea, Baltic Sea, and parts of the northern Atlantic Ocean. Mountain Effects Orographic or relief snowfall is caused when masses of air pushed by wind are forced up the side of elevated land formations, such as large mountains. The lifting of air up the side of a mountain or range results in adiabatic cooling, and ultimately condensation and precipitation. Moisture is removed by orographic lift, leaving drier, warmer air on the descending leeward side. The resulting enhanced productivity of snowfall and the decrease in temperature with elevation means that snow depth and seasonal persistence of snowpack increases with elevation in snow-prone areas. Cloud Physics A snowflake consists of roughly 10 to the 19th power water molecules, which are added to its core at different rates and in different patterns depending on the changing temperature and humidity within the atmosphere that the snowflake falls through on its way to the ground. As a result, snowflakes vary among themselves while following similar patterns. Snow crystals form when tiny supercooled cloud droplets freeze. These droplets are able to remain liquid at temperatures lower than negative 18 degrees Celsius because to freeze, a few molecules in the droplet need to get together by chance to form an arrangement similar to that in an ice lattice. Then the droplet freezes around this nucleus. In warmer clouds, an aerosol particle or ice nucleus must be present in or in contact with the droplet to act as a nucleus. Ice nuclei are very rare compared to that cloud condensation nuclei in which liquid droplets form. Clays, desert dust, and biological particles can be nuclei. Artificial nuclei include particles of silver iodide and dry ice, and these are used to stimulate precipitation in cloud seeding. Once a droplet is frozen, it grows in the supersaturated environment, one where air is saturated with respect to ice when the temperature is below the freezing point. The droplet then grows by diffusion of water molecules in the air vapor onto the ice crystal surface where they are collected. Because water droplets are so much more numerous than the ice crystals due to their sheer abundance, the crystals are able to grow to hundreds of micrometers or millimeters in size at the expense of the water droplets by the wergener bergeron findeisen process. The corresponding depletion of water vapor causes the ice crystals to grow at the droplet's expense. These large crystals are an efficient source of precipitation since they fall through the atmosphere due to their mass and may collide and stick together in clusters or aggregates. These aggregates are snowflakes and are usually the type of ice particle that falls to the ground. 
Although the ice is clear, scattering of light by the crystal facets and hollows imperfections mean that the crystals often appear white in color due to diffuse reflection of the whole spectrum of light by the small ice particles. Classification of snowflakes Micrography of thousands of snowflakes from 1885 onward, starting with Wilson, Alwyn, Bentley, revealed the wide diversity of snowflakes within a classifiable set of patterns. Ukichiro Nakaya developed a crystal morphology diagram relating crystal shapes to the temperature and moisture conditions under which they formed. Nakaya discovered that the shape is also a function of whether the prevalent moisture is above or below saturation. Forms below the saturation line trend more towards solid and compact. Crystals formed in supersaturated air trend more toward lacy, delicate, and ornate. Many more complex growth patterns also form such as side planes, bullet rosettes, and also planar types depending on the conditions of the ice nuclei. If a crystal is started forming in a column growth regimen at around negative 5 degrees Celsius, and then falls into the warmer plate-like regime, then plate or dendritic crystals sprout at the end of the column, producing so-called capped columns. Magono and Lee devised a classification of freshly formed snow crystals that include 80 distinct shapes. They documented each with micrographs. Accumulation Snow accumulates from a series of snow events, punctuated by freezing and thawing, over areas that are cold enough to retain snow seasonally or perennially. Many snow-prone areas include the Arctic and Antarctic, the Northern Hemisphere, and Alpine regions. The liquid equivalent of snowfall may be evaluated using a snow gauge, or with a standard rain gauge, adjusted for winter by removal of a funnel and inner cylinder. Both types of gauges melt the accumulated snow and report the amount of water collected. At some automatic weather stations, an ultrasonic snow depth sensor may be used to augment the precipitation gauge. Snow events Snow flurry, snowstorm, and blizzard describe snow events of progressively greater duration and intensity. A blizzard is a weather condition involving snow and has varying definitions in different parts of the world. In the United States, a blizzard occurs when two conditions are met for a period of three hours or more. A sustained wind or frequent gust to 35 miles per hour, and sufficient snow in the air to reduce visibility to less than 0.4 kilometers. In Canada and the United Kingdom, the criteria are similar. While heavy snowfall often occurs during blizzard conditions, falling snow is not a requirement as blowing snow can create a ground blizzard. Snowstorm intensity may be categorized by visibility and depth of accumulation. Snowfall's intensity is determined by visibility as follows. Light. Visibility greater than one kilometer. 
moderate, visibility restrictions between 0.5 and 1 kilometer. Heavy, visibility is less than 0.5 kilometers. The International Classification for Seasonal Snow on the Ground defines height of new snow as the depth of freshly fallen snow in centimeters as measured with a ruler that accumulated on a snowboard during an observation period of 24 hours or other observation interval. After the measurement, the snow is cleared from the board and the board is placed flush with the snow surface to provide an accurate measurement at the end of the next interval. Melting, compacting, blowing, and drifting contribute to the difficulty of measuring snowfall. Distribution Glaciers with their permanent snowpacks cover about 10% of the Earth's surface, while seasonal snow covers about 9%, mostly in the Northern Hemisphere, where seasonal snow covers about 40 million square kilometers, according to a 1987 estimate. A 2007 estimate of snow cover over the Northern Hemisphere suggested that, on average, snow cover ranges from a minimum extent of 2 million square kilometers each August to a maximum extent of 45 million square kilometers each January, or nearly half of the land surface in that hemisphere. A study of Northern Hemisphere snow cover extend for the period 1972 to 2006 suggests a reduction of 0.5 million square kilometers over the 35-year period. Records The following are world records regarding snowfall and snowflakes. Highest seasonal total snowfall The world record for the highest seasonal total snowfall was measured in the United States at Mount Baker Ski Area, outside of the city of Bellingham, Washington, during the 1998-1999 season. Mount Baker received 2,896 centimeters of snow, thus surpassing the previous record holder, Mount Rainier, Washington, which during the 1971-72 season received 2,850 centimeters of snow. Highest Seasonal Average Annual Snowfall The world record for the highest average annual snowfall is 1,764 centimeters measured in Tsukayu Onsen, Japan, for the period of 1981 to 2010. Largest Snowflake According to the Guinness World Records, the world's largest snowflake fell in January 1887 outside present-day Miles City, Montana. It measured 38 centimeters in diameter. Metamorphosis after deposition, snow progresses on one of two paths that determine its fate, either ablation, mostly by melting, or transitioning from fern, multi-year snow, into glacier ice. During the transition, snow is a highly porous, sintered material made up of continuous ice structure and a continuously connected pore space, forming together the snow microstructure. Almost always near its melting temperature, a snowpack is continually transforming these properties in a process, known as metamorphism, wherein all three phases of water may coexist, including liquid water, 
partially filling the pore space. Starting as a powdery deposition, snow becomes more granular when it begins to compact under its own weight, be blown by the wind, center particles together, and commence the cycle of melting and freezing. Water vapor plays a role as it deposits ice crystals known as hoarfrost during cold, still conditions. Seasonal Snowpack Over the course of time, a snowpack may settle under its own weight until its density is approximately 30% of water. Increases in density above this initial compression occur primarily by melting and refreezing, caused by temperatures above freezing or by direct solar radiation. In colder climates, snow lies on the ground all winter. By late spring, snow densities typically reach a maximum of 50% of water. Snow that persists into summer evolves into neve, granular snow, which has been partially melted, refrozen, and compacted. Neve has a minimum density of 500 kilograms per cubic meter, which is roughly half of the density of liquid water. Fern. Fern is snow that has persisted for multiple years and has been recrystallized into a substance denser than neve, yet less dense and hard than glacial ice. Fern resembles caked sugar and is very resistant to shoveling. Its density generally ranges from 550 kilograms per cubic meter to 830 kilograms per cubic meter and it can often be found underneath the snow that accumulates at the head of a glacier. The minimum altitude that fern accumulates on a glacier is called the fern limit, fern line, or snow line. Movement There are four main mechanisms for movement of deposited snow. Drifting of uncentered snow, avalanches of accumulated snow on steep slopes, snow melt during thawed conditions, and the movement of glaciers after snow has persisted for multiple years and metamorphosed into glacier ice. Drifting When powdery snow drifts with the wind from the location where it originally fell, forming deposits with a depth of several meters in isolated locations. After attaching to hillsides, Blown snow can evolve into a snow slab, which is an avalanche hazard on steep slopes. Avalanche An avalanche, also called a snow slide or snow slip, is a rapid flow of snow down a sloping surface. Avalanches are typically triggered in a starting zone from a mechanical failure in the snowpack, slab avalanche, when the forces on the snow exceed its strength but sometimes only with gradually widening, loose snow avalanche. After initiation, avalanches usually accelerate rapidly and grow in mass and volume as they entrain more snow. If the avalanche moves fast enough, some of the snow may mix with the air, forming a powder snow avalanche, which is a type of gravity current. They occur in three major mechanisms. Slab avalanches occur in snow that has been deposited or redeposited by wind. 
They have the characteristic appearance of a block slab of snow cut out from its surroundings by fractures. These account for most backcountry fatalities. Powder snow avalanches result from a deposition of fresh, dry powder and generate a powder cloud, which overlies a dense avalanche. They can exceed speeds of 300 kilometers per hour and masses of 10 million tons. Their flows can travel long distances along flat valley bottoms and even uphill for short distances. Wet snow avalanches are a low-velocity suspension of snow and water, with the flow confined to the surface of the pathway. The low speed of travel is due to the friction between the sliding surface of the pathway and the water-saturated flow. Despite the low speed of travel, about 10 to 40 kilometers per hour, wet snow avalanches are capable of generating powerful destructive forces due to the large mass and density. Snowmelt. Many rivers originating in mountains or high-latitude regions receive a significant portion of their flow from snowmelt. This often makes the river's flow highly seasonal, resulting in periodic flooding during the spring months, and at least in dry mountainous regions like the mountain west of the U.S. or most of Iran and Afghanistan, very low flow for the rest of the year. In contrast, if much of the melt is from glaciated or nearly glaciated areas, the melt continues through the warm season with peak flows occurring in mid to late summer. Glaciers Glaciers form when the accumulation of snow and ice exceeds ablation. The area in which an alpine glacier forms is called a cirque, cori, or cum a typically armchair-shaped geological feature which collects snow and where the snowpack compacts under the weight of successive layers of accumulating snow forming neve. Further crushing of the individual snow crystals and reduction of entrapped air in the snow turns it into glacial ice. This glacial ice will fill the cirque until it overflows through a geological weakness or an escape route such as the gap between two mountains. When the mass of snow and ice is sufficiently thick, it begins to move due to a combination of surface slope, gravity, and pressure. On steeper slopes, this can occur with as little as 15 meters of snow ice. Snow Science Scientists study snow at a wide variety of scales that include the physics of chemical bonds and clouds, the distribution, accumulation, metamorphosis, and ablation of snowpacks, and the contribution of snowmelt to river hydraulics and ground hydrology. In doing so, they employ a variety of instruments to observe and measure the phenomena studied. Their findings contribute to knowledge applied by engineers who adapt vehicles and structures to snow, by agronomists who address the availability of snowmelt to agriculture, and those who design equipment for sporting activities on snow. Scientists develop and others employ snow classification systems that describe its physical properties at scales 
ranging from the individual crystal to the aggregated snowpack. A subspecialty is avalanches, which are of concern to engineers and outdoor sports people alike. Snow science addresses how snow forms, its distribution, and processes affecting how snowpacks change over time. Scientists improve storm forecasting, study global snow cover, and its effects on climate, glaciers, and water supplies around the world. The study includes physical properties of material as it changes, bulk properties of in-place snowpacks, and the aggregate properties of regions with snow cover. In doing so, they employ on-the-ground physical measurement techniques to establish ground truth and remote sensing techniques to develop understanding of snow-related processes over large areas. Measurement and Classification In the field, snow scientists often excavate a snow pit within which to make basic measurements and observations. Observations can describe features caused by wind, water percolation, or snow unloading from trees. Water percolation into a snowpack can create flow fingers and ponding, or flow along capillary barriers, which can refreeze into horizontal and vertical solid ice formations within the snowpack. Among the measurements of the properties of snowpacks that the International Classification for Seasonal Snow on the Ground includes are snow height, snow water equivalent, snow strength, and extent of snow cover. Each has a designation with code and detailed description. The classification extends the prior classifications of Nakaya and its successors to related types of precipitation. It also has a more extensive classification of deposited snow than those that pertain to airborne snow. The categories include both natural and man-made snow types, descriptions of snow crystals as they metamorphose and melt, the development of hoarfrost in the snowpack, and the formation of ice therein. Each such layer of a snowpack differs from the adjacent layers by one or more characteristics that describes its microstructure or density, which together define the snow type and other physical properties. Thus, at any time, the type and state of the snow forming a layer have to be defined because its physical and mechanical properties depend on them. Physical properties include microstructure, grain size and shape, snow density, liquid water content, and temperature. Satellite data Remote sensing of snowpacks with satellites and other platforms typically includes multispectral collection of imagery. Multifaceted interpretation of the data obtained allows inferences about what is observed. The science behind these remote observations has been verified with ground truth studies of the actual conditions. Satellite observations record a decrease in snow-covered areas since the 1960s, when satellite observations began. 
In some regions such as China, a trend of increasing snow cover was observed from 1978 to 2006. These changes are attributed to global climate change, which may lead to earlier melting and less coverage area. However, in some areas there may be an increase in snow depth because of higher temperatures for latitudes north of 40 degrees. For the northern hemisphere as a whole, the mean monthly snow cover extent has been decreasing by 1.3% per decade. The most frequently used methods to map and measure snow extent, snow depth, and snow water equivalent employ multiple inputs on the visible infrared spectrum to deduce the presence and properties of snow. The National Snow and Ice Data Center, NSIDC, uses the reflectance of visible and infrared radiation to calculate a normalized difference snow index, which is a ratio of radiation parameters that can distinguish between clouds and snow. Other researchers have developed decision trees, employing the available data to make more accurate assessments. One challenge to this assessment is where snow cover is patchy, for example during periods of accumulation or ablation, and also in forested areas. Cloud cover inhibits optical sensing of surface reflectance, which has led to other methods for estimating ground conditions underneath clouds. For hydrological models, it is important to have continuous information about the snow cover. Passive microwave sensors are especially valuable for temporal and spatial continuity because they can map the surface beneath clouds and in darkness. When combined with reflective measurements, passive microwave sensing greatly extends the inferences possible about the snowpack. Models Snow science often leads to predictive models that include snow deposition, snow melt, and snow hydrology, elements of the Earth's water cycle, which help describe global climate change. Global climate change models, GCMs, incorporate snow as a factor in their calculations. Some important aspects of snow cover include its albedo, reflectivity of incident radiation including light, and insulating qualities, which slow the rate of seasonal melting of sea ice. As of 2011, the melt phase of GCM snow models were thought to perform poorly in regions with complex factors that regulate snow melt, such as vegetation cover and terrain. These models typically derive snow water equivalent, SWE, in some manner from satellite observations and snow cover. The International Classification for Seasonal Snow on the Ground defines SWE as the depth of water that would result if the mass of snow melted completely. Given the importance of snow melt to agriculture, hydrological runoff models that include snow in their predictions address the phases of accumulating snowpack melting processes, and distribution of the meltwater through stream networks and into the groundwater. Key to describing the melting processes are solar heat flux, ambient temperature, wind, and precipitation. Initial snowmelt models used a degree-day approach 
that emphasized the temperature difference between the air and the snowpack to compute snow water equivalent SWE. More recent models use an energy balance approach that take into account the following factors to compute QM. The energy available for melt. This requires measurement of an array of snowpack and environmental factors to compute six heat flow mechanisms that contribute to QM. 